It's Tuesday, March the 10th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, markets take stock and Wells Fargo's chairwoman steps down. First, the world in brief. Financial markets stabilized in Asia after the previous day's turmoil. Benchmark stock indices in China, Japan and Australia all made modest gains during the day's trading. The yield on 30-year American Treasury bonds, which had dipped below 1%, rose back above that threshold. The price of Brent oil, which had tumbled after Saudi Arabia began a price war with Russia, rose by over 7% to nearly $37 a barrel. Italy extended its quarantine measures, including a ban on public gatherings nationwide. The country's Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conte, promised massive shock therapy to help the economy overcome the impact of its COVID-19 outbreak. At least 463 people in Italy have died of COVID-19, and more than 9,000 are infected, including the leader of Italy's co-ruling Democratic Party. Joe Biden, a candidate for the Democratic nomination for America's presidency, received another endorsement from a former rival, this time that of Cory Booker, a senator from New Jersey. On Sunday, Kamala Harris, who dropped out of the race in December, also backed the former vice president. Both Mr. Booker and Ms. Harris are African-American, a group that strongly supports Mr. Biden. Xi Jinping visited Wuhan for the first time since the COVID-19 outbreak began there in December. China's president met with doctors and residents in the city, which has been in lockdown since late January. Wuhan is now the only place in mainland China reporting local transmission of the virus. Officials are considering easing travel restrictions in the surrounding province of Hubei. Five countries in the European Union, Finland, France, Germany, Luxembourg and Portugal, agreed to take in up to 1,500 unaccompanied and or sick child migrants who are currently stuck in Greece. The first case of COVID-19 was also confirmed on Lesbos, an island on a busy migration route from Turkey, prompting concerns it could rapidly spread through nearby refugee camps. Afghanistan swore in two presidents in parallel inauguration ceremonies. By the Electoral Commission's tally, the title should go to the incumbent Ashraf Ghani. He beat his political rival Abdullah Abdullah by a hair's breadth in September's general election, a result Mr Abdullah rejects. Their standoff is awkwardly timed. The Afghan government may soon talk to the Taliban as part of a wider peace process. And Wells Fargo's chairwoman, Elizabeth Duke, resigned just days before she was set to testify before a hearing in Congress about the bank's fake accounts scandal. Another board member also resigned. America's biggest bank by branch numbers is now on its third chief executive since the scandal first broke in 2016. And now, here's today's agenda. Joe Mentum, the Democratic primaries. Democrats in six states select a presidential candidate today, and Joe Biden appears poised for a good showing. Since his strong result on Super Tuesday, the party has coalesced around him. Kamala Harris, who pounded him mercilessly in a presidential debate, endorsed him at the weekend. Cory Booker, another former rival, followed suit on Monday. Mr. Biden's support among African Americans will help him most in Mississippi, where they comprise a large share of Democratic voters. Mr. Sanders cancelled a rally there this weekend to shore up his position in Michigan, where he led until Super Tuesday, a position that has since eroded. 
Mr. Biden has also widened his lead in Missouri. The two are virtually tied in white liberal Washington, which should worry Mr. Sanders. He needs a strong win there to have any hope of retaking the delegate lead. Mr. Sanders may do well in Idaho and North Dakota, overwhelmingly white, but sparsely populated. Insecure America's Election Technology Today, the House of Representatives will be briefed on efforts to secure America's upcoming elections. The body, however, lacks much authority in the matter. Under the Constitution, states rather than the federal government set the rules for administering the polls. The good news is that the system's decentralization makes a single effort by hackers to tamper with nationwide results impossible. But the bad news is bigger. A handful of counties often swing national elections, meaning that places with creakier vote-counting technology leave everyone vulnerable. Many states have a dangerous combination of insecure and paperless systems. The lack of a paper trail prevents audits of close or questionable results. All Congress can do is help states spruce up their technology. It earmarked $425 million in a bill last December. Experts think states should be spending billions more. Pennsylvania alone, a critical battleground in November's presidential election, says it needs $125 million to upgrade its machines. Enter the bear, global market turmoil. What a difference a few weeks makes, as battered investors can attest. Until mid-February, stock markets regularly posted new highs amid confidence that China was controlling its coronavirus outbreak. That confidence has suddenly turned to alarm. Evidence is mounting of the epidemic's spread far beyond China. A mass quarantine in Italy, southern Europe's industrial and financial powerhouse, has raised fears about the restrictions that might be needed to rein in the virus at great cost. Stock markets from America to Asia have suffered sharp declines, with benchmark indices in Britain and France declining by more than 20% from their peaks. Adding to the turmoil, Saudi Arabia has launched an oil price war, vowing to increase production even though demand is falling because it believes it can outlast Russia. That has highlighted yet another fear. In 2008, the last time global markets were this rocky, governments banded together to restore calm. This time, they are more inclined to blame each other. Race, oil and votes. Guyana's disputed election. Guyana's Chief Justice, Roxanne George Wiltshire, today hears arguments over the hotly disputed election of March 2nd, and in particular the vote tally from the capital, Georgetown. Mainly Afro-Guyanese supporters of the incumbent president, David Granger, claim a big victory there, and say this gave their man a narrow national edge. But mainly Indo-Guyanese voters backing the main challenger, Irfan Ali, also claim a national lead. Both parties held election night celebrations. Mr Ali's supporters say the count used incorrect procedures, a point echoed by international observers and diplomats. As protests erupted on March 6th, a teenager was shot dead. Stakes are high. After decades of poverty, Guyana can now entertain the prospect of sudden oil wealth. ExxonMobil has found 8 billion barrels offshore and started pumping in December. According to some calculations, rapidly rising reserves could soon give Guyana's 780,000 people more oil per person than any country except Kuwait. Master of Symbolism, Vladimir Putin and Russia 
Today, the Russian Duma is expected to approve sweeping changes to the constitution proposed by the President Vladimir Putin. Media reports suggest he will sign them into law on March 18th, six years to the day after undertaking one of his most audacious acts, the annexation, or return as Russia calls it, of Crimea. Both the annexation and the constitutional changes are designed to keep him in power. The old constitution demands that he leave office in 2024. A new one could restart the count of presidential terms. It grants the president near-absolute power, further reduces the authority of elected mayors, and scraps the primacy of international norms over Russian laws. The power grab is shrouded in the language of God, ancestral traditions, heterosexual families, and sacred victory in the Second World War. Russia will stage a spectacle of public approval of the new constitution on April 22nd, the birthday of Vladimir Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, whose collapse Mr. Putin so deeply laments. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Leopold von Sacher Masoch, who passed away on March 9th, 1895. A slap in the face is more effective than ten lectures. It makes you understand very quickly. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.